You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, I'm going to say farewell to the legend Bill Withers. But first, we've got some new music to review. Greg, spring's always a big release season. We did uh, some anticipated record reviews a few weeks ago. I think there's even more excitement about some of the ones we're going to tackle this week. We're going to share our thoughts on them, starting out with a new album by The Strokes. That was a track called Bad Decisions by The Strokes. The Strokes, of course, burst out of New York City in the now uh, rapidly being mythologized era of 2000-2001, an explosion of activity in New York, kind of unparalleled since the punk era, uh, bands like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, LCD Sound System, and probably most hyped of all, The Strokes, led by Julian Casablancas. After the first full-length album, Is This It, came Room on Fire, First Impressions on Earth, Future, Present, Past, uh, other records, and then kind of began to fracture. We got Strokes albums in between lots of solo albums and other projects. Now it's been quite some time, seven years, since a new Strokes record has come down the pike. This is their sixth overall studio album, and they turned to that master of mid-career revitalization, Rick Rubin, (laughs) who's done the same for many bands over the years. What are the strokes giving us on this new record, The New Abnormal, a title, I will note, that was chosen well before the COVID-19 shutdown? We're going to play a track and then come back and give our opinions. This is Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus by The Strokes from The New Abnormal on Sound Opinions. Shot is never enough. I just wait for us to go in circles. A lifetime of giving up. Oh, you are stuck. Give me a break. Don't say something about the bear. And Fussy would tell me I'm his friend. Actually, no thanks. I'm okay. Nanny would send me less my way. That is Brooklyn Bridge to Chorus from The Strokes. The new album is The New Abnormal. And uh, I can't help but feel that the last decade, especially for The Strokes, has been kind of a waste. They're either not putting out records or they're putting out not very good ones. I have to say, this this record does show a few more signs of life than perhaps the last two or th- maybe even three Strokes records. Uh, there are moments where you feel like it's a real band again. I think that opening track, the adults are talking. They've been sophisticated. They're complaining. All the edges. 
track like Bad Decisions. Those are decent tracks that would fit alongside uh, the best of the strokes. So that's not exactly a new move. What I am hearing, though, and I don't think this is a new problem with the strokes, is that the Julian Casablancas uh, solo machine has taken off and left the rest of the band behind. I think Casablancas has improved mightily as a vocalist. I mean, he basically had one riff when he when he started out. It was that sort of deadpan, New York cool vocal style. Yeah. And yeah. he's developed a few new moves. I mean, there's definitely a sense of growth there as a singer. But he has become such a focal point alongside those keyboard textures, which he also uses when he's doing his own uh, records, that you wonder what the rest of the band has to do and why they're even calling themselves a band. Well, I have one theory. What they have become is a meal ticket that can sell out easily mid-sized uh, arenas or, or theaters. And is that is that a reason to go on? Well, apparently it is. Again, signs of life here, a lot of self-referential tracks. We can't help it if we're a problem. We're trying hard to get your attention. It's almost like you're abandoning us. Oh, woe was us. There's another beautiful line in there where he's talking about why are Sundays so depressing? He says, all my friends left and they don't miss me. be talking about some personal affairs but i can't help but feel he's reflecting on the band's own career like and you know they are getting some some of the worst reviews of their career in the last decade and and i would say for good reason when when they titled that first record is this it well i'm kind of thinking it was <laughs> well it absolutely was greg i i am less of a fan of this record than you are although i think i was the bigger strokes fan early on uh you know Every record that followed Is This It was half as good as the one before. And now, six records in, uh, there's just nothing left. You know, the strength of the band, one of the key strengths was always drummer Fabrizio Moretti. You know, an incredible hard-hitting drummer, taking that sound of the Velvet Underground and the feelies up a notch. And, uh, you know, this is all mid-tempo, kind of stuck in in a rut music you know i mean we we could pull out any of the lyrics and laugh at them you mentioned that one about the friends how about in uh, ode to the new york mets i was just bored playing the guitar learned all your tricks wasn't too hard i was just bored playing the guitar nice if you worked a little bit harder. I do not, and I know you do not, we do not read other people's reviews before we craft our reviews of a record. But the number of people tweeting me and emailing me about how excited they are to have the strokes back, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe that it's based on this record. Yeah, go out and play Is This It again and you'll get excited again. Uh, but, you know, there are two things that drag this record down. One you already mentioned, ennui. I'm becoming both a more generous critic and a harsher critic the longer I'm trapped in my house, okay? Uh, I'm happy to hear music that uplifts me more so than ever. And also, I got no tolerance for nonsense. Ennui is one of the most destructive forces in the history of rock and roll. You're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. I got no time for you, okay? The other thing is nostalgia. 
All right. I don't understand this fascination with Meet Me in the Bathroom and and that period. You know, the, the music that's good holds up, but people wanting to relive that now and feeling like, I remember the good old days, you know, at the Mercury Lounge. It's like, oh, man, give me a break. It's just obnoxious. Because I'm heartless. That is a little bit of a track called Heartless from the new album by The Weekend After Hours. Greg, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Abel Tesfe is the most important voice in R&B in the last decade, right? Or certainly one of the top two. Well, certainly one of them, for sure. And here he is with a much-anticipated new album, his fourth studio effort. In 2011, The Weeknd debuted with three mixtapes. They were packaged into a proper album. This child of Ethiopian immigrants uh, raised in Toronto has since become a superstar, an unlikely one, uh, much like Drake in the hip-hop world, uh, self-focused much of the time, but also a pop star. What is he giving us on this new album, his fourth proper studio effort? Let's play a track and uh, dive deep into what we think The Weeknd is doing on After Hours. This is a song called Blinding Lights on Sound Opinions. song called Blinding Lights from the latest Weekend album, After Hours, his fourth studio album, as Jim mentioned. We, uh, we have an artist here who is all about uh, musical contradictions, that claustrophobic interior world that he was painting with those early EPs, and lately he's become an R&B star. He's trying to integrate those two worlds, and he's probably done a better job of it on this record than he has recently, I think. Blinding Lights is an example, an extreme example of where he's going with the pop sound. I mean, you got Max Martin to produce a track, you're going to get upbeat, dancey, mm-hmm. uh, synth pop, a nostalgic sound in some ways. Yeah, it's kind of kind of an 80s, uh, 80s dance floor groover, yeah. Totally. And then you've got a track like After Hours, which sounds to me a very uh, nightmarish and, and very much in keeping with the template set by those early EPs. You know, this um, insomniac vibe, this, uh, the, the reverberating, echoing percussion. It's almost like a typewriter tapping away at his skull or something like that. It's very, you know, interior world kind of sound. On the floor, distracted my thoughts to you 
again, he's singing about this whole notion of isolation and loneliness. And you go, at a time of social distancing, I mean, what could be a more appropriate soundtrack for what people are going through now? You know, that vulnerable predator thing, you know, the contrast between it's hard to let me go. You know, is that a boast or a threat, as he's talking about in Hardest to Love? something like faith i mean what a creepy song if iod i want you to follow right behind you know i mean these are yeah these relationships are toxic to an nth degree and it's like do you really like this narrator you may not necessarily like this guy but at the end of the record you kind of understand him more and you realize he's really in 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 bad shape and so are the people he's hanging out with um, so it's it's almost in heart, difficult to be enthusiastic about the weekend, but he's so canny in the way he delivers these hooks and with the with the vulnerability that he's projecting on his vocals that I I find myself fascinated by these records. No, the the voice is a powerful one, Greg, and that combination of veering between uh, a very dark psychedelic electronic kind of uh background uh on the down songs and the bursts of exuberance on those dance floor tracks like the one that played us in it's effective but yes i don't think i like abel tesfe when <laughs> when he sings you know i don't know if i can be alone again on alone again and and you you feel that pain I don't think he likes women, but I don't think he likes anybody, uh, starting with himself. I don't think he likes himself. I don't think you know? he likes himself. But So why is this different than Drake's solipsism? I, I think he's a much more complicated and ultimately much more honest uh, songwriter. Uh, but it is not an easy listen. And, you know, I think the challenge we're going to have in this moment and in the weeks to come is to not mm. hear everything as as a response, because this is... This is an album that's been in the works for months, right? You are social distance too long, and you begin to think that you're not worthy <laughs> of being with other people. And right. and I, uh, you know, but I I think Abel Tesfe the weekend is is uh, got some work to do on himself before he is. It has nothing to do with social distancing. So let's not put everything through that lens. After the break, we're going to review more anticipated new musical releases, including the latest from Fiona Apple and Lucinda Williams. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're doing a review roundup. We're going to share our thoughts on some new albums by artists you know, but perhaps forgot about. Next up, Fiona Apple. I've waited many years. Every print I left upon the track has led me here. And next year, it'll be clear. This was only leading me to that. And by that time, I hope that you... That is Fiona Apple with a new track called I Want You to Love Me from her first album in eight years, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. 
Fiona Apple, classically trained pianist, signed to a record deal as a teenager. Some people may recall that debut album title that was a, a huge hit in 1996 when she was all of 19 years old. That hit single, Criminal, was all over MTV for months. And uh, the album ended up selling 3 million copies. Did pretty well with the follow-up in 99, When the Pawn. I won't even attempt to do the entire title. There's probably like 80 <laughs> words in it. I think it was 90 uh, But I'm not, yeah. I'm not demeaning it in any way. It was a great record. Uh, there was a six-year gap to Extraordinary Machine, then a seven-year gap for, uh, between that album and The Idler Wheel. More words in that title as well. Just, I'm just giving you the first three. That was in 2012. And now this eight-year gap where we arrive at Fetch the Bolt Cutters, and a record that she has been recording off and on, uh, essentially at home in California for those eight years. She really hasn't done a lot of touring, hasn't made a lot of public appearances, kind of dropped out. Uh, there's been a song here or there that we've heard from uh, Fiona Apple, but now she's finally back. Here is a track from the new album, Heavy Balloon, from Fiona Apple on Sound Opinions. People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. We keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls way too soon. People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. Keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls way too soon. People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. We keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls way too soon. I spread like strawberries. I climb like peas and beans. I've been sucking it in so long that I'm busting at the seams. I spread like strawberries I climb like peas and beans I've been sucking it in so long But I'm bursting at the seams In the middle of the day It's like the sun with the Sahara When it's staring me down Forcing all forms of life inside of me To retreat underground It grows relentless like the teeth of a rat It's just got to keep on on at me that is Heavy Balloon from the highly anticipated new Fiona Apple, Fetched the Bolt Cutters. Greg, the title comes from uh, one of those English uh, series that I love, Gillian Anderson, The Fall, female detective. Mm-hmm. A, a troubled character in that uh, brilliant detective who also has some dark shadows. And I think that that's fair to say that Fiona has wrestled with her demons very publicly in the full spotlight of the world. Obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, drinking problems, troubled relationships. Uh, she has been unstintingly soul-bearing, uh, putting her, her, her life and her struggles out there for everyone to see, sometimes with uh, incredible, powerful results. This artist touches people very deeply, and sometimes I think it must be said with a fair amount of self-indulgence. Uh, but overall, I like the immediacy and rawness of so much of this record having been recorded essentially, you know, in her living room with a piano, with uh, like her sister dropping by to add a line of vocal, as Emily Nussbaum wrote in, in a profile. I wonder what lies is telling you about me to make sure that we'll never be friends. And it's a shame because you and I didn't get away. 
homespun quality here uh, that has a real power. I, I wanted to play the song Heavy Balloon because I like what she's doing, sort of um, Fiona-izing hip-hop with the, the, the kind of really rhythmic vocal delivery there. You know, something like I Want You to Love Me is incredibly powerful. On the other hand, you know, I think she's always had a problem with focus, and that continues here. But the good parts will definitely appeal to her fans. I'm a much more of a fan of this record than you sound to be, Jim. I uh, I just love the vibe uh, that it's you know the word that popped into my head was rambunctious. You know, there's like all this thrift uh, store percussion. There's uh you know, and the barking dog is part of that percussive atmosphere. You know, everything's a, everything's a drum on this record, including your piano playing. They were hitting uh, containers wrapped with rubber bands, empty oil cans filled with dirt. I mean, you know, everything that could be hit in that in that house apparently was hit as as part of the <laughs> percussion armada that she brought to this record. And you know, this is about an album about uh, being assertive, uh, passionately and defiantly assertive, uh, and the arrangements suit that mood uh, very well. You know, the, that line that really jumps out at me, there's many lines that jump out at me, but uh, in the title track, I thought being blacklisted would be grist for the mill, uh, referencing some of her past problems in the, as a public persona, until I realized that I'm still here. And then I need to run up that hill. I will, I will, I will. She's quoting one of her heroines there, Kate Bush. Yeah, nodding uh, to Kate in, Bush. In, in that regard. So I, I really love the I really love the defiance here. I love the the fact that the tracks aren't conventional. I love the fact that it's so stripped down and sounds like a person making music in the moment. And yet I know it was labored over for a long time. It doesn't sound labored over. It sounds like a very much of a spontaneous outburst from I think a really unique and uh, and one of a kind artist in a lot of ways. That is Chocolate Souffle from Shabazz Palaces. The new record is called The Dawn of Diamond Dreams. Ishmael Butler, that is a name very familiar to hip-hop heads. Uh, Ishmael is not only the co-founder of Shabazz Palaces, he was also the co-founder of a great hip-hop group in the early 90s, Diggable Planets. They only put out two records, but man, oh man, they were uh, game changers. 1993, reaching a new refutation of time and space and then Blowout Comb in 1994, bridging the worlds of hip-hop and jazz in, in new, innovative ways. And uh, a lot of that vibe has been brought over to Shabazz Palaces, but in a completely blown-out way. The hip-hop has been combined with jazz, with psychedelia. There's a, um, an element of sci-fi in the music, even more pronounced than it was in Diggable Planets. An important link in a long line of Afro-futuristic music, you know, uh, from the jazz, R&B, funk, rap spectrum. You know, you're talking about the lineage of Sun Ra, Parliament Funkadelic, and Outkast, uh, resulting in I, what I think is one of the best records of the last decade, the Black Up debut album by Shabazz Palaces in 2011. They have put out three more albums since then, and now we have a fifth, The Dawn of Diamond Dreams. Here's a track from it, Wet by Shabazz Palaces on Sound Opinions. I just like the water cause it's wet. 
Shabazz Palaces, The Dawn of Diamond Dreams, a new album from that duo. Greg, absolutely. The Afrofuturism in this group, the ambition musically, uh, not always lyrically. If you listen to the lyrics in Wet, mm-hmm. it's kind of just uh, Ishmael Butler, Palisir Lazaro, his, his uh, Shabazz Palace's name, is just kind of, you know, uh, almost kindergarten play school rapping, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, wet, wet water is wet. But the musical ambition, I love it. I think you really have to get in a certain headspace. Uh, dare I say, perhaps overindulging in the now legal in most states, but not all, uh, herb, or uh, fever dream. It's kind of like this is a trip of a record, and it sort of begins to move more slowly and sort of like you're underwater as we get to the second half, all building uh, to this track at the end, Reg Walks By the Looking Glass, that has some incredible saxophone by Carlos Overall. You know, it is not as immediate, I think, uh, certainly not as Black Up, that 2011 Shabazz Palace's debut. But the good part is that you get on board and you go on this trip with them. And I was enchanted from beginning to end on a dozen listens. You know, I definitely want to go on that trip with Shabazz Palaces as often as possible. I I do love this group, love the concept behind it. I thought that debut record was just uh, money. It's it's still, for me, one of the uh, best releases of the last decade. But I do not feel that this record is up to par, up to that very high bar that they set for themselves. The Dawn of Diamond Dreams just doesn't measure up. And I think the issue for me is early on it's a pretty strong record. Uh, I think they're very much in the in the realm of what Ishmael Butler does best, sort of wedding these um, melodic concepts with these very avant-garde-ish tracks, the mashup of different styles. The record feels somewhat unfocused to me, but that isn't a major problem until the end, where we get a couple of these longish tracks. I'm thinking uh, specifically of Money Yoga. This one goes up to my phase one. This one goes up to my phase one. This one goes and Reg walks by the looking glass. I mean, these are, you know, you put the word atmospheric in quotes. I mean, that's a nice way of saying it. It's kind of tedious. The, these tracks really don't go anywhere. They hang on a couple of chords. 
Then you get those sax solos. You mentioned those, Jim, and I, I, I gotta say, Ishmael is a jazz aficionado, and he's putting these solos up there like, okay, this is in the tradition of your great jazz. I'm not quite sure we're quite getting that same uh, vibe here. No, 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 see, but as, as the party goes on, the more you smoke and drink, right? Yeah. The further deep into the cushions on the sofa you sink. You I know, think he, and, and I, think I think he that's was what the, into the, the, the cushions is. and the mixing board, you know. When the, I, I, I don't know, man. I, every time I started at the beginning and ended at the end, I, I like took that trip with him. I think it was sequenced with more skill and care than you're. You're describing the album that just falls apart. And see, I don't, I don't hear it that way. I think it just gets boring. That's what I think. Uh, I, think it's a, I think the first half of it is pretty good, and the last half of it just kind of dozes off for me, and I don't think it uh, it works as a complete listen. You're man without truth A man of greed A man of hate A man of envy and doubt You're a man without a soul all the money in the world will never fill that hole. You're a man bought and sold. You're a man without a soul. Greg, that is Man Without a Soul by Lucinda Williams from the last of the records we're tackling this week. Another highly anticipated release. Good Souls, Better Angels. Lucinda Williams, a huge figure on the singer-songwriter Old Country Underground, pretty much since she set out. Born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, raised famously by a college professor, poet, father, falling in love with music early on, part of that early to mid-70s singer-songwriter scene in Austin, Texas, part Texas-based at times, part Nashville-based at times, making her big worldwide impact with the British indie label Rough Trade, starting in 88. Always a songwriter's songwriter, not always, not often, not ever really, a huge hit maker on her own, but her songs have become hits for others. Uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter having a top hit and Grammy winner with uh, her version of Lucinda's Passionate Kisses. Lucinda takes a long time between records. She is famously a perfectionist. We don't get them often. When we do, people are always very excited to hear what she has. Now, at age 67, she is giving us her 14th album, Good Souls, Better Angels. We're going to play a track from it, come back, and give our reviews. This is Bad News Blues by Lucinda Williams on Sound Opinions. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes, under my hat, on the radio, in the laundromat, hanging in the air. Laying on the ground, walking up the stairs, bad news all around. No matter where I go, I can't get away from it. Don't 
Bad News Blues from the new Lucinda Williams record, Good Souls, Better Angels. You know, Jim, you mentioned that she'd sort of labored over a lot of her records, and I think that was very much true uh, over the first couple of decades of her career, but I think when she got married in 2009 to Tom Overby, her manager, her perspective as a songwriter and as a recording artist started to shift. You know, instead of these inward-looking songs about, you know, romantic turmoil, we started getting these songs that looked out into the world, and she's become more of a storyteller in her songs, you know, telling the story of her land, her country, you know, the world outside that living room. And compared to, like, a record like Car Wheels on a Gravel Road in 1998, which was really labored over, took her years to make, her recent records have had this more vibrant band-in-a-room vibe. And yeah. um, that band she's got is fantastic. Now, some people said this is a return to her roots. You know, she started out as a blues artist in Louisiana in the late 70s. Then she's returning to some of that vibe on this record. Some of the song titles have the word blues in the title. But if you're expecting cookie-cutter blues songs, that's not what you get. The guitarist in her band, uh, Stuart Mathis, those aren't blues solos that he's playing. He's playing some nasty, nasty edge guitar on here that is reflecting her mood in these songs. I mean, basically, these songs are apocalyptic. I mean, the world's falling apart. The devil's trying to steal our souls, you know. Bad Mm -hmm. news in that song. We said bad news blues. The bad news is like a virus. And if the devil's on your tail, you got two options. You can flee or you can fight. And uh, Lucinda Williams has chosen to fight. These are fighting words on this record. And there's a lot of attention being paid to that Man Without a Soul song, I Shall Not Name the Name, that uh, she also does not name in that song, but a lot of people know what that's about. And a song like Bone of Contention, that same kind of angry vibe, who's your mother, where did you come from? Where did you come from? Who's your father? Where are you born? You're not my brother. You're not my kin. And that song, Waking Up, just an absolutely harrowing account of domestic abuse. You have to a punch. Somehow I missed it. I should have split. Thought I could fix it. You pull the kitchen. Chair out from under me. That even if you didn't know what the song was about, you could hear in the tone of her voice and the sound of Mathis's guitar what that anger and that rage is just sort of welling up and going unchecked. And I love that vibe. It almost sounds like it's a depressing record, but it's really not. And at the end, you know, she uh, sings that song, Good Souls, which is like a prayer, like, you know, we're going to get out of this. Um, so I just think it's a really powerful piece of work from Lucinda Williams. Uh, you know, I mean, absolutely, Greg. Uh, you, you kept saying one thing after another that I was eager to say, including praising Stuart Mathis, who's in like Robert Quine, Velvet Underground yeah. guitar solo uh, uh, glory here. You know, from time to time, I would I would spar uh, lovingly in in good humor with friends like of the hideout old country crowd, right? Because Lucinda Williams is worshipped by fans of old country, you know, and I would kind of make fun of car wheels on a ground. Travel road, you know. This is a punk rock record, all right? This, this like Sturgill Simpson's last record, is as punk as punk yeah. gets. She is furious, you know, and she is not going down without a fight. When she takes on the President of the United States, you bring nothing good to this world beyond a web of cheating and stealing. You bring nothing good to this world beyond a web of cheating and stealing. When she protests, you can't rule me. When she sings about not wanting to ride that big black train into nihilistic nothingness. I don't want to get off 
Fighting against the shadows and doubts, praying the devil back to hell. I mean, this is an absolutely furious record from the perspective of forgotten people, right? You know, right. forgotten people who people are speaking in their name but doing the exact opposite that should be done for them. You know, Lucinda is mad as hell and she's not going to take it anymore, you know, network. Well, we both love, Greg, the new Lucinda Williams. We both are let down by the new strokes. We are somewhere on the spectrum on all the others. But as always, we want to know what our listeners think. Call and give us your opinions on these new records or anything else in the music world. 888-859-1800 is our hotline. And you can always reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. After the break, we remember Bill Withers, and we'll hear how the Boston Red Sox organist is connecting with music and baseball fans during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis here with my partner, Greg Cott, and we all know COVID-19 has greatly affected many of our jobs and our passions. Whether you were furloughed or you're working 15 hours a day, so many musicians have been impacted by this virus, and we are about to hear from one of them. That's right, Jim. Josh Cantor is a keyboardist who often pops up on stage alongside members of R.E.M., Steve Wynn, or sitting in with the likes of Wilco or Drive-By Truckers. But his most high-profile gig is as an organist for the Boston Red Sox home games at Fenway Park. Now, once opening day came and went uh, with no baseball, Cantor and his wife found a way to recreate the fun of the seventh-inning stretch from their home. Now their Facebook page is a daily gathering place for music-loving baseball fans around the world. Our producer, Andrew Gill, found out the seeds of this project were planted years ago when Cantor opened up his ballpark set list for requests. About eight or nine years ago, just kind of on a lark, I started taking song requests during the ball games on Twitter from people in the stands. And it's always just sort of been a word of mouth thing. So at the beginning, I would get one or two a game. And it's steadily grown to the point where now, you know, I get 15 or 20 a game. And that's still a small number when you think about 38,000 people being in the stadium. But it is a lot to keep me busy on a given night to have to learn 15 or 20 songs, maybe half of which I've never even heard before, until so I'll just very quickly pull up a stream on my laptop of the song, listen to it in an earpiece once or twice, try to at least get the gist of it, and then run through it once on the organ, just so that only I'm listening, and then pipe it into the, to the sound system for the whole ballpark and play it for everyone to hear. It's very difficult and challenging, but it's also very invigorating and fun. It makes it fun for me. It makes it fun for listeners to have their special song played at the ballpark. Joseph's son wants to know if I could play Despacito. Uh, here goes, here goes nothing. I wasn't the first, uh, and I'm not the only. I think I might be the only one who's foolish enough to do it kind of on the fly, as opposed to maybe sort of crowdsourcing in advance and, and having time to properly practice and learn songs. The beginning of the baseball season is, is really special. Um, and I find myself sort of missing the opportunity to, um, to do a lot of those things right now. And I'm, I'm feeling it more acutely than I thought I would. So that was part of why I decided to do these daily live streams where I could play sort of ballpark organ style pop songs in my living room and have people, you know, check in and watch and say hello and send in song requests. 
Hi everybody, welcome to, this is episode number four of Seventh Inning Stretch. And thank you so much for being here. We're here every day at three o'clock. And the one thing that we always do here, near the start of the show, is um, we sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. That's the proper seventh inning stretch. This is the time of the day when maybe you need a stretch. So everybody stand up, sing along, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. I'll give you the four bar intro. Here we go. I really hope you sing. Originally, we thought it would be just kind of a one-off, but it's been so kind of restorative for me that I've kept doing it and people keep showing up to watch. So for those people who want to come do it, I guess they're getting something out of it as well. And so it's, it just sort of exceeded my expectations in terms of how many people were enthusiastic about it and how much of a valuable respite it was for me. I know that for that half hour every afternoon, um, I have this thing to look forward to and I have this break from, I just don't worry about all the stresses that worry me the rest of the day and the, all those stresses that worry so many of the rest of us all the time. some ways it's even more challenging because I don't have that luxury of maybe having five minutes to learn the song at, like I do at a ball game before I play it live. It's simply, it pops up on the screen and if it's a song I have heard before, I just do my best to conjure how that song goes and what it sounds like and how it could be played on the organ. And maybe sometimes I only remember the chorus or something, but at least you get the hook, you get a good 30 seconds and I encourage people at home to sing along and um, I just try to make it as loose and as enjoyable and as spontaneous as possible. A few requests are starting to come in, um, and that's exciting. Let's start with this one. Dave's got a request. I definitely have heard it before, plenty of times. Let's try this one, Almond Brothers's. <laughs> Yes, I'm familiar with the Yola Tango uh, request series that they do on the radio. I'm a big fan of it. I've listened to it many times and I love how ambitious they are with playing their Hanukkah shows every year where they play eight nights in a row and they don't repeat any songs and they were gracious enough to ask me to play one of those shows with them last year, which was one of the true thrills of my life and I just have always admired the kind of ambition that they put into their work. But he wants to hear um, this song called I Don't Know You Anymore. It's a Bob Mould song that came out like seven or eight years ago, maybe. It's very much a two-person effort. I'm the one in front of the camera, but um, my wife, Mary, is an equal partner in this endeavor. She's the one making sure the technology is working. Her work is with the homeless population of Boston, and so she is still going in on occasion and helping as best she can to make sure that people uh, remain fed. But I know that she sees our daily quote-unquote show as a respite uh, from her strains, just as I see it as a respite from mine. And so our current plan, I guess that anything's always subject to change, but our current plan is to continue to do this every afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern for half an hour until people just stop showing up or until um, baseball season 
begins for real, that's sort of where we're at with it right now. Sing along if you know it. It's by um, a Swedish pop group. Forget their name. Here we go, Dancing Queen. Boston Red Sox organist Josh Cantor talking about bringing music to baseball and music fans in these dark times. As often as possible, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and play you a track we cannot live without. Greg has something special this week. Thank you, Jim. Uh, many tracks that I can't live without by this one particular artist, Bill Withers, who died a few weeks ago at the age of 81. Among a string of losses in the music world that uh, we have experienced in recent weeks, Withers was particularly devastating for many people because his songs were so familiar to us. They were just kind of, they always seemed to be in the air uh, there to console us or, or pick us up when we needed them. It's incredible what a career Withers had. He only released seven albums before he left the music world and began late as well, a late bloomer if there ever was one. He was age 31 when his debut record came out in 1971. He'd already spent nine years in the U.S. Navy, started writing songs, and the next thing you know, he's got a number one hit in Eight Known Sunshine and a number three album in the country. And through various uh, machinations with the recording industry, many of them ending up badly, he just walked away after a little more than a decade making music, decided just to leave and, and, and you know, never really was heard from again from a musical standpoint. He saw real no need to make more records or to tour extensively. You know, here and there he would pop in for a, a live date, but it, it was pretty much, you know, left the music behind for good. But what he did leave behind was extraordinary. You know, when people talk about folk soul, he's one of the first artists people think of. Uh, he didn't exactly invent the genre. You know, I think somebody like Terry Collier probably got there first a decade sooner. But Withers certainly was the first to really give it a chart presence. And what am I saying with folk soul? Combining that, that element of soul in the vocals, in the way you're able to sort of stretch words and syllables to give them an emotional context beyond just reading notes or lyrics on a page and then blending it with that simplicity and directness of folk music and he did that extraordinarily well for a number of reasons he was first of all a gifted musician nobody ever said oh he's just an extraordinary this or that but he had that warm tone in his vocals he was a very gifted guitar player just not very showy but incredibly agile in terms of the way he could accompany his voice, sort of like a call-and-answer kind of vibe between his voice and that guitar. And then the songwriting. I mean, a master of writing these indelible songs, whether he was talking about social or political commentaries like I Can't Write Left-Handed, a you know, withering indictment about the, the Vietnam War, or something like Grandma's Hands, in which he was talking about you know, strong family traditions, to these very personal songs like... Uh, Use Me and Ain't No Sunshine that became standards and were covered many times. And people say, well, you know, where should you start with Bill Withers? I mean, the first four studio albums are extraordinary, but for me, the Signpost uh, Withers record is live at Carnegie Hall. He recorded it in the fall of 72. It was released in 73. To me, it is the starting point for Withers because not only does it present many of his best-known songs, 
but it also puts them in a new light. Some of those studio recordings are pretty straight-laced. This is more open and free-flowing, and you really get a sense of how the audience would respond to this great artist. And it was extraordinary to see the, the communication there. I want to play one of his standards, uh, Lean On Me, from this great live recording that gives you a sense of what that vibe and that interaction was like. Every one of those songs is a big communal thing when he sang them in concert. And here's a great example of that. Lean On Me from the live at Carnegie Hall record from Bill Withers on Sound Opinions. Sometimes in our life we all have pain we all have sorrow the late, great Bill Withers from the Live at Carnegie Hall album. Greg, we're going to do a classic album dissection of that at some point soon. But what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to talk to the author of a new book on the legacy of women MCs in the world of hip-hop. For more sound opinions, you can listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The show was produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Come on. No, don't tell me that you care when I know you're standing there. I left the story of my life on your answering machine. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, are you there? messages. Hey, this is Bryce from Durham, North Carolina. Um, as someone who was furloughed, uh, I decided to start listening to your show from the beginning, or at least the earliest shows that were offered, I think around 2005 going forward. It's been uh, very therapeutic for me to listen to the show basically all day. Uh, so thanks. Hey guys, uh, this is Jeremy in Anoka, Minnesota. And I want you guys to know about a band called Gully Boys out of Minneapolis. Three women, and uh, it's hard to pin down their style, but they have uh, just outstanding rock, emo, hard-driving, garage-type stuff. Really good melodies. They just had a new EP come out called Phony. And it's a really good kind of a Stevie Nicks sort of song called Hear You Calling. Give them a listen. Thanks, guys. I saw you in an ivory pool deep underground. I was there too. We were floating in a foreign 
I was listening to your show. My name is Katina Litt. I'm living in New York, Long Island, and I want to recommend a singer-songwriter named Josh Tobias out of New York City, I believe Brooklyn area. Excellent. And what's interesting about the way he writes is he writes from different genders in a very interesting way. So I hope you check him out. Was it you that last night slipping out my back door? To think if you disappear, you would leave my mind You would never know how long my soul's been fighting for Why do you abuse my trust and you waste my time? I want your love, but it's slipping through my hands I'm falling to This is David from Santa Barbara. I have a buried treasure for you. The band is Say Sue Me. They're from Korea, from South Korea, and they combine surf rock, shoegaze, and up-tempo rock music that just brings a smile to my face every time I hear them. Thanks for the show. Keep doing what you're doing. messages to give us your opinions on sound opinions call our hotline 888-859-1800 we'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by wbez chicago and distributed by prx 